How many of you enjoy going to the apple orchard in the fall? Like, is that one of your favorite kind of family things? Yes. Um, fall has passed. Um, Unfortunately, it's my favorite season. Uh, And so uh, we are moving into winter, but uh, I love in the fall um, eating apples. I think most people do. Uh, They're delicious, right? And so uh, a lot of us will go to the apple orchard. And um, I have a question for those of you that that enjoy the the apple orchard. Uh, Have you ever been there and seen a tree grow an apple in front of your eyes? Yes. So you have seen a tree produce a bud that has grown into a fruit, kind of the way that a water balloon fills on the end of a hose, right? And just pops into a full-size apple. (laughs) Oh, no, no. I haven't. I mean, I've never stood next to a tree to hear it grunt and groan one into existence, right? Oh, apple, right? No. Some of you are like, man, I was around a toddler this week and they started grunting and groaning and they grew something, but it wasn't an apple, right? You see, no matter how hard a tree tries, a tree can't produce fruit on its own. No matter the willpower of that tree, no matter the desire of that tree, it cannot produce fruit on its own. It needs things outside of itself to grow fruit. And you're like, really, like, why are we talking about this? I mean, it's elementary, right? In order for a tree to produce fruit, what does it need? Well, it needs sunshine, doesn't it? Photosynthesis, that word nobody could pronounce in eighth grade, right? It needs to take sun and it needs to convert it into energy, into food for this tree. It needs the right amount of water, right? Because if you oversaturate a tree, right, you could actually suffocate the root system. You can drown a tree. And if it gets too much water, it actually loosens up the soil and it doesn't take a pretty heavy wind to blow that tree completely out of the ground when that root system has been oversaturated. But if it gets no water, that tree is going to wilt and it's going to wither, isn't it? It takes good soil for a tree to grow and to produce fruit, right? It needs nutrients, right? These are all elementary things. You're like, duh. Duh. Well, then why do so many Christians believe it's their responsibility to bear fruit on their own? I don't know. I think that what we're going to talk about today is one of the easiest kind of stumbling blocks uh, in the Christian faith. It's one of uh, the easiest areas to kind of stumble around and, and to be kind of confused and to not really understand what this looks like and how this is supposed to work. And so what we're going to talk about is far greater than just this word, but uh, I think the best word to describe this is this word sanctification. Sanctification. It's kind of a churchy word. It's the process of becoming holy. It's the process of looking more like Jesus. And so every single one of us would say, yeah, when I put my faith in Christ, I don't expect to stay exactly the same way. I expect to grow. I expect to become more and more like him. And so for the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been in in Galatians chapter five, right? We've been in the book for the past like three months. We've been in Galatians chapter five. uh, In the first sentence of Galatians chapter five, it says this, it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not give in to the yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. 
Now this is kind of weird language, right? In Greek, uh, the word order doesn't matter. Uh, and so we read that and we're like, okay, like that doesn't make a ton of sense, right? But um, we could say, uh, I live in America, which means uh, I am free to uh, eat a hamburger. I am free to uh, eat pork. And I am free to, right? And we could list off a million other things, right? We've got our amendments, we've got our declaration, all this stuff, right? I am free to. And what Paul is saying here is, Christ sets you free to freedom. Christ has set us free to freedom. And I think most of us would say, yeah, I believe that, that Jesus saved me from things. But I don't think a lot of us would say, yeah, Christ has saved us to things. Christ has set us free. He has saved us from more than just hell. He saved us from being our own God. You know, every time I, I hear this sentence, I think, like, it's, it's silly, right? I've never sat across from somebody who said, I'm God. It was kind of an arrogant statement to make, right? But I have sat across from a lot of people who operate as though they are God. I answer to myself. I'm going to do only what I want to do right? We've been around people like that. Kind of annoying, right? I am my own God, right? This picture comes to mind of Macaulay Culkin, right? Of uh, Kevin in the movie Home Alone. How many of you guys have seen Home Alone, right? Amazing movie, right? Best Christmas movie ever. People are like, we want to fight you right now, right? Um, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. We'll get that out of the way, okay? Uh, And so you have Kevin McAllister in Home Alone, And the beginning of the movie starts up and he's in this big old house and he's surrounded by his parents and he's surrounded by his siblings and he's surrounded by cousins and aunts and uncles uh, and he wants them all to go away. Because they're kind of stepping on his toes, right? He wants to eat what he wants to eat. He wants to do what he wants to do. He's sick of getting picked on by his older cousin. He's sick of sleeping in a bed with his cousin that's wet in the bed, right? There's so many reasons why Kevin wants everyone else gone. He wants to be his own God. No, he doesn't say that in the movie, but as soon as his family forgets about him and leaves him at the house, and they bolt for France, what's he doing? Well, he's eating big old bowls of ice cream, he's jumping on the bed, he's watching whatever movies he wants to, he's shooting his little toy army men down the laundry chute with his BB gun, right? Kevin is doing what Kevin wants to do. But there comes a point where in that movie, kind of that fun wears off, and there comes a point where Kevin actually has to deal with something that is far too great for himself, and he needs saving. Because even though Kevin is good with tying gallons of paint to a rope and tying all sorts of just insane stuff to his house so that Roger and Marv, the most um, moronic robbers ever, uh, can't make it through this kid's house, there comes a point where Kevin needs saving from them. And so Christ has saved you from more than just going to hell, but he's saved you from being your own God. Because you make a pretty crummy God. Right? All of us do. We weren't created to bear that weight. We weren't created to do that. Right? When you are your own God, you've got to figure out what leads to fulfillment. You've got to figure out why pain and suffering exist and why people die. You've got to deal with, uh, well, what is right and what is wrong? This is a weight that you weren't created to carry. And so when you're saved from that, you're saying, yeah, I believe that there's a God that has those answers that knows how to lead me to fulfillment, that understands that pain and suffering hurt and he understands why. It allows you to rest under him. And as well as saving you from being your own God, he saved you from empty religion and from a system of just uh, behavioral modification. 
right? Well, I've got to do this and I've got to stop doing that. He saved you from trying to figure out how to be cool with God. He's saved you from trying to figure out how to appease somebody. He saved you from fear that you aren't doing it right. And he saved you too, getting to rest under the God. When you're not God, you don't have to understand fulfillment. You don't have to understand death and suffering and loss. You don't have to waste the days of your life endlessly chasing the wind, trying to figure things out. He says, nah, you were created with a purpose. Let me lead you to it. You get to step out from under the pressure and the responsibility. And he's saved you to a life with the Spirit. That's what we're gonna talk about today. For freedom, Christ has set us free. He set us free to be free. Such a beautiful statement. Such a beautiful truth. And he follows that up and he says, stand firm, therefore. Why? Because all of us have a tendency to slide, right? We've got a tendency to float. That's what Pastor Brad was talking about last week. You know, so some of us will actually slide over to legalism and it's, it's this idea that uh, I have to start behaving a certain way so that I will be cool with God. And so we create a system of rules and regulations so that we ourselves are viewed as holy. So that when we stand before God, we can say, look at what I've done. Look at what I've done. Man, I went to church every Sunday for 58 years straight. He saved us from that. It's so easy to slide into this idea. It's so easy to slide into uh, saying, you know what? Uh, I don't believe that I'm fully forgiven and so I need to add to the work of Christ. I don't believe that God actually delights in me and so I need to work hard so that he will delight in me. And so I'm gonna punish myself and I'm gonna stop doing this and I'm gonna start doing that and we start sliding into what is freely given. We slide into working for something that is freely given. But then some of us, we slide the complete opposite direction, right? We aren't sliding into more Bible studies and into into more church. We're sliding into doubting whether or not God is actually good. Whether or not God is actually for us. Whether or not God is actually about us finding joy in him. And we start asking, you know what, if God was really good, he wouldn't allow this to happen. If God was really good and he was really for me, he wouldn't have an issue with me doing whatever. And I know it does not take long for my deceitful heart to get to the point where I am righteous and God is evil. It's not hard to slide there. That's why Paul is saying, stand firm. Stand firm. But how? That's what we're talking about today. How, right? We never move on from the gospel, right? We preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. We meditate on the gospel, right? The gospel declares that we have the just judge of the universe banging the gavel, decreeing not guilty. And it's beautiful. And at the same time, we have the God of the universe as a father who has adopted us into his family. We are now heirs. Right? It says that we're actually siblings of Jesus. How crazy is that? And so not only has that justification happened, right? That, that innocence being declared, but we've been adopted into the loving Father. 
It says that we have a Father in heaven who has given us the Holy Spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. Now, we don't tend to use the word Abba here in the United States, right? They were a really bad band in the 70s. Um, So most of us don't talk about Abba. We don't use that word. But in the Middle East, they do. Right? And so this is the context that this book was written to, right? And even today, if you go to the Middle East, Abba is what they refer to as father. It is a word of respect. It is reverence. Because in the Middle East, culture there is typically very high, high respect culture. Here in the U.S., we would refer to our dad as daddy, right? We aren't calling him father. A lot of us don't. We call him daddy. But in the Middle East, they would never say, uh, yeah, you can call dad or you can call God daddy, right? They would see that as being very disrespectful, And so to them saying, we cry out, Abba, Father, saying we cry out, Father, Father, right? The Father of Fathers. It is a respect thing. Our English translation of that would be, my dad could beat up your dad, right? Like, that's my daddy, right? He could take you down, right? You want to wrestle? Let's go. We get to cry out, I have the dad of all dads. He's the one that's adopted me into his family, right? And so not only has the judge declared me as innocent, not only has the judge declared that I am not guilty, but I have a loving father who has adopted me into his home, into his lineage, into his uh, family. We get to be heirs of him. And so when we camp on these two things, right, when we're constantly telling ourselves this, right, that God has declared me innocent and he loves me, he has adopted me, right, it becomes the fuel that leads to transformation, becomes the fuel that moves us to transformation. And so last week, Pastor Brad started talking about the one another statements and how we actually love one another, right? And the whole goal of this life is to love people, right? That's the command that Jesus has given us. It is the royal law. So Brad started walking through, what does it mean to forgive one another, to serve one another? What does it mean to submit to one another? What does it mean to love one another, to accept one another? God has decreed us as innocent, that we are blameless, spotless, righteous, and he's adopted us. And because of that, love comes out. And out of that, it is our fuel. That love becomes our fuel. That becomes uh, what we use for transformation. Out of that comes our sanctification. That is our looking more and more like Christ, right? When we live under the good news, when we are constantly reminded of, when we are preaching it to ourselves, we begin looking more and more like him. So we're going to jump in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 16. These are the words that Jeff read earlier that you guys stood for. So if you brought a Bible, I'd love for you to open up with me. If you've got your phone or an app, uh, open up. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You see, Paul says we need to walk by the Spirit. Why? So that we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And so on this side, you've got the desires of the flesh, right? All the things that we naturally are just bent to do. And over here, you've got 
the Spirit, right? And they are not just oil and water that don't mix, but they are enemies, right? And there is a war that is taking place between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. And I think that far too many of us will read a passage of Scripture like this, and instead of reading it with hope, and instead of reading the words that are actually here, we start kind of reading it through our own lenses, right? And we start reading it with our own interpretation. And so instead of reading what was there, all we see is do not gratify the desires of the flesh, Oh man, like I, I need to stop doing that, right? I need to quit looking at that. I need to quit buying that. I need to start doing this instead, right? And so it's, it's turning into, man, I just need to keep trying harder. It's time for me to do this and it's time for me to stop doing that. And we've turned into an apple trying to produce fruit on our own. It doesn't say live under your own willpower and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say it's up to you to stop doing these things. It says walk with the Spirit and you won't. You see, it takes something outside of yourself. Then in verse 18 it says you are led by now on Thursday, uh, right, we had Thanksgiving. Uh, it's a big holiday. Um, but Thanksgiving also uh, is the day of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. One of the biggest parades that happens here in the United States. Uh, about three and a half million people line the streets of New York to watch this. About 50 million people watch this thing on TV. I don't know why. Um, it takes about 10,000 people marching in this thing. Right, so uh, between bands that are there, between uh, people operating floats, between the people that are wrangling those gigantic Garfield balloons, right, 10,000 people march in this thing. And it takes about three hours for them to get two and a half miles. So they're moving at about a mile an hour. And at the head of this whole thing, you've kind of got this parade master, and they're setting the tone, right? They're setting the pace. And so everybody in this parade needs to be in step with this parade master, the grand master. Because if I'm driving a float, right, and everybody's moving at about a mile an hour, and I'm bored, and so I decide to go 50, something bad is going to happen, correct? Like bad, bad is going to happen, right? Lots of people. But if I'm in that same float and I decide, you know what, I'm not going to do 50, but I am going to go two miles per hour, You're not moving twice as fast as everybody else. You're no longer in step, are you? And you're going to quickly gain on the people in front of you, and then you're going to blow past them, and you're going to gain on the people in front of them. It says walk with the Spirit, right? Stay in step with the Spirit. The Spirit has set a pace. The Spirit has set a rhythm, Walk with the Spirit. Stay in step with the Spirit. Now, part of uh, the parade is bands, right? Lots of bands. And they come from all over the U.S. You've got college kids in bands. You've got high school kids in bands. Uh, And so not only are these people keeping in step, but they need somebody to actually direct what they're doing when it comes to their music, right? So I was a band kid when I was in high school. Um, I played percussion, and so uh, 
you have what's called a conductor, right? If you've ever been in a choir, you've been in an orchestra, you've been in band. Uh, if you've been in any of these things, you have somebody that is directing what is taking place. So if you look at a conductor, typically in front of an orchestra, what do they do? They've got a baton and they're cranking away, right? One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, right? And it depends on the time signature and all that. But when I was in band, one of the biggest pet peeves of our band directors was that uh, all of us musicians, we had our heads in our music all the time. And so instead of looking at him and seeing what he was doing, we're all just staring like this. And it was typically a sign that you hadn't practiced and you didn't know the music, but more than that, we all just wanted to play our instrument and we wanted to play our own thing, right? So the conductor was always saying, look at me, look at me. I'm keeping the time. Look at me. And so there'd be times where we're playing this song and uh, all of a sudden, just the most horrible sound would be made because he would just start cranking, right? His hand is like flying off his arm and he's doing it on purpose because he wants everybody to keep up with him. And then all of a sudden we're playing really fast songs in slow motion and it sounds terrible. But the whole point is, are you watching the conductor? Are you in step with the conductor? Now, beyond just being in step with, are you being led by? Now, I know a lot of times, not all instruments are being played at the same time. Not all musicians are playing their part at the exact same time. That conductor, not only are they keeping the time, but they're inviting people in to play their part. It happens up here every Sunday, right? The band, they've got uh, little earphones in, right? And they've got a click track, it's keep and beat, right? And Brandon is up here, or whoever the band leader is that week. They're kind of guiding people. Hey, drums, we want you to come in. Hey, guitar, we want you to come in. You've got a composer who's inviting you in to play your part. And so not only are they keeping time, but they're pointing at different sections, right? Woodwinds, come in, right? Let's get louder, 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 louder. There we go. Brass, come on. All right, your part is done. Let's wrap it out, right? Crescendo out. Hard stop out. The Christian life is a lot like being a musician. It's a lot like being in a band. Are you keeping rhythm? Are you keeping in step? And are you being led by the conductor? Right? I love the word conductor, right? It kind of reminds you of trains, reminds you of music. There's so many different ways that a conductor will lead, so many ways that a conductor will direct Walking by the Spirit is keeping in step with the director. You see, in the Christian life, instead of just burying your head in a music stand, uh, what we do is, wow, Brandon's got horrible handwriting. Um, sorry. Um, instead of you know, burying your head in the music stand, what we do is we start looking at other people to figure out what part we're supposed to play. And so instead of keeping our eyes on the conductor, instead of knowing when we've been invited in, we just start looking at what other people do to figure out, is this what I should be doing or is this not okay for me to be doing? And so maybe there's a TV show that you really, really like, right? The writing is fantastic. The cinematography is great. Uh, it's witty. It's sharp. Man, it is good entertainment. But the entire premise of the show is on producing drugs and distribution of drugs. And so uh, you turn it on and you're like, eh, I don't know if I should be watching this. And you keep watching it. And then you go to work. And your coworker's like, hey man, did you see the latest episode of the show? 
You're like, oh yeah, and you sit down and you guys have a conversation about this, right? And you're eating lunch and you're talking about everything that just happened. But then later that night, you go to small group and somebody's like, yeah, I don't watch that show. I, I, it, just, it doesn't point me to Christ, right? I'm deciding not to watch that. Well, if your eyes aren't on the conductor and you're looking to the left and you're looking to the right, you've got this individual who says, oh yeah, it's totally okay. And you've got this individual who says, no, it's not. You are no longer free because you are either a slave to feeling self-righteous or you're, a free, or you're a slave to feeling guilty. The Spirit is your conductor. The Spirit is there to lead you. And I'm gonna tell you this. The Spirit's not leading all of us in the exact same way. The Christian faith is not one size fits all. Thank God, because I'm a big dude and you'd all be in super saggy clothes, right? The Christian life is not one size fits all. The way that God is leading you is not exactly the same way that he's leading that person over there. And so what this person does may not be good for you. It may not be wise for you. It may not be something that God is saying, yeah, that's something you should be pursuing. And Paul writes to this in, in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, everything is permitted, but not everything is good for us. Everything is permitted, but not everything builds us up. You see, Christ has set us free, which means we can. But it doesn't mean that we should. So every single one of us is sinful, right? I think most of us would say, yeah, uh, I have vices. Yeah, I've got weak spots. Yeah, I sin. And whatever it is, right? It could be alcohol, drug addiction, greed, lust, right? There's a long list, right? We're reading one today. Just because Christ died on the cross, paying the penalty for those things, and just because God, the just judge, banged the gavel declaring you as innocent doesn't mean you're not gonna struggle with these things in the Christian life. That's why we have hope for what is to come. But in a lot of churches, there's this kind of underlying expectation that when you say yes to Jesus, everything about you, everything is just immediately stripped and it's just replaced with this holy little angel version of yourself. And that's how we treat people in the church, right? Oh, well, you go to church, you shouldn't be doing this and this and this and this and this. It's so easy to become self-righteous when we look at what other people do. You see, the day that you say yes to Jesus is the beginning of a long journey of standing up and walking and falling down and picking yourself back up again and brushing yourself off and taking another step. This journey is going to hurt. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's, it's going to be hard to push through, but it is going to grow you. Like a toddler learning to walk, I just have this image of a dad just hunched over on these hardwood floors, and you've got this little fellow He's like, come here, take a step, come here. And he takes a step, and then he completely wipes out. And you're like, yeah, I don't know if I need to go to the hospital. <laughs> right? And they get back up and they wipe their tears away. He's like, come here. And he takes another step. And that dad is so overjoyed. Come here, I love you, come here. See, the process of sanctification is taking steps towards him. It's the dad calling you. It's the dad celebrating with you every time you come closer and closer to him. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. It says, all things as they move towards Christ are beautiful and they are ugly as they move away from him.
You know, I was in band, uh, like I said, and every year we would have a Christmas concert and I can't stand Christmas music now because of it. Uh, but we would play the same songs, right? Elementary school, middle school, high school, because parents loved it. And so uh, we would play these songs. And every year, my goal was to play the slapstick, right? It's two two-by-fours on a hinge with handles, and you crack that sucker, it's so loud. There's a song, Sleigh Ride. And in this song, there comes a spot where it's supposed to sound like the crack of a whip, And so I'd stand there with this thing ready to go and Mr. Cavelli's directing and I would make eye contact with him and he would lock eyes with me and he knew, he's like, I'm gonna tell this kid when he needs to crack the whip. So he's keeping the rhythm, doing his thing, he's inviting everybody in, getting them to the right volume and he points straight at me, bang. You see, if I had my head in the music, if I was just looking at what everybody else was doing, I'm like, oh, they're all playing, so I should be playing too. And I'm up here just like slapping this thing, it would make no sense. It'd be distracting, right? It would take away from the beautiful thing that is happening around me because the Christian life isn't one size fits all, right? You can't just throw your life in autopilot. You can't just try to blend in with everybody else because you weren't granted freedom to live in autopilot or shackled to other people. For freedom, you have been set free. Verse 19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Paul says, Observe the obvious. You guys know what comes when you uh, gratify the desires of the flesh? It's pretty easy to see, right? And so he throws out this long list. He's like, hey, you, you know, there's sexual sin out there, right? You know what happens when you pursue that stuff? You know what happens when you pursue kind of this religious sin? Sorcery and, and all this stuff. You know what happens with uh, relationships when this kind of relational sin comes in, right? It's not good when you envy other people and when you're jealous, right? You know what comes from this, You understand the works that come out of this, right? Indulgences, the things that you give yourself over to. It's like these things don't lead you to the kingdom of God. Observe the obvious. But then he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, right? He's saying on the other hand, you have this. On the other hand, you have the fruit, I think it's important to note that that this word fruit is actually singular. It's not kinds of fruit. It is the fruit. They go together. Because if it was plural, it would just turn us into grocery shoppers, right? Well, I'm really good at patience. I'm really good at faithfulness. I'm terrible at goodness. And it turns into a checklist of how good of a Christian you are. This is the fruit that you produce when you are in step with the Spirit, when you are being led by the Spirit. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have gratified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
If we live by the Spirit, we also live in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul caps this off with this beautiful reminder, and he says, remember the good news. Stand firm, therefore. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember the sacrifice that he's made. Remember the decision that you made. If we live by the Spirit and we keep in step with the Spirit, we'll love people, right? Which is the point. That's what Christ has commanded us to. You know, several months ago, uh, when we were in uh, chapter two, right? It's crazy, a couple months, we were two chapters back. Um, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Christ, or it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? And we said, guys, we think it'd be really smart for you to memorize this. We think it'd be really smart for you guys to write this on your heart because there's going to be situations in life where knowing this and just having it in your mind, having it just kind of branded on you would be good for you because all of us need to remember the good news. On a regular basis, remember the good news. Preach it to yourself, right? For freedom, Christ has set you free. We're gonna jump into Ephesians chapter five because I think that this goes along with what we've been saying so well. Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, it says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's say, so we said, walk with the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. And here in Ephesians, Paul writes, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the, the Greek word for spirit is actually this word pneuma, uh, and it means spirit, it means wind, and it means breath. It's used in all three of those contexts. And so when I read this, when I uh, hear this idea of be filled with the spirit, uh, it takes me back to summer camp. Uh, for 13 summers, almost uh, full summers or parts of summers, I was at Silver Birch Ranch. Right? It's a camp in northern Wisconsin. Uh, part of that time, I was a volunteer. Part of it, I was uh, in college. I was a summer staffer. Part of it, I was on full-time staff at Silver Birch. Uh, and so uh, I spent a lot of time there, and I spent a lot of time around kids. And one of our favorite kind of program areas for kids was our beach. It was the lake. Silver Birch was positioned right on Sawyer Lake, and so uh, we had a ton of boats, Right? You could get in a rowboat, you could get in a canoe, you could get in a paddle boat, you could uh, get out on a ski boat, you could go on a pontoon boat, uh, and we had some sailboats. And so uh, every week we would have hundreds and hundreds of kids, sometimes hundreds of just families, that would come and they would be at Silver Birch. And I always get this image when I hear of this, be filled with the Spirit, I get the image of a sailboat. And more than that, I, I get this image of a guy that used to work with me by the name of Grandpa Bill. Uh, Grandpa Bill, uh, his son, Brad, was my boss at camp. And so every summer, uh, Grandpa Bill, who was retired, he would spend his summers at Silver Birch, and then the rest of the year, he'd be in his RV, and he'd be off doing mission stuff somewhere warm. And um, so every summer, Grandpa Bill was there, and he was uh, one of the nicest and one of the most intimidating humans I think I have ever met. Uh, He was both of those at the same time. And so uh, I don't have a picture to show you, but picture uh, Popeye the Sailor Man with a handlebar mustache, okay? Um, 60 something, uh, the forearms of a gorilla uh, tatted up from being in the Navy and um, sweetest man ever, 
but you see him across camp and you're like, he's going to hurt someone, right? Uh, And so he was the most intimidating and one of the sweetest men ever. And I loved, every time I would go down to the lake, when I would go to the beach, I would see Grandpa Bill laying out on the beach. He loved it. He loved the sun. He loved being around the water. And oftentimes I would see Grandpa Bill by the sailboats and he would have a little crowd of campers around him and he's explaining how a sailboat works. And so he would explain, you know, here's the sail, here's this, here's this, here's how you do this, here's how you operate a sailboat. And you would have these middle school kids just wrapped around his fingers, right? They thought they were about to like captain a cruise ship. And so he would get them into this sailboat and he would push them out into the water and they would start rowing their way out and eventually they'd pop up their sail and they would do what they remembered him saying and they would just sit there and their boat would get caught in the current and it would just slowly fade. And so these kids that were so excited to be out on this sailboat, it quickly turns into panic. I am going to run straight into that big rock, right? And so they're starting to wig out. Now, I don't know if you guys have spent a ton of time around a couple hundred middle school kids, but they are loud, right? They are very, very loud. And so you would get down to the beach and you've got kids that are swimming. You've got kids that are going down water slides. You've got kids that are tubing behind boats. You've got kids that are out in all the other boats, like out in the lake, right? And it is just the sound of laughter and giggling and it is the best sound ever. And so Grandpa Bill would send these kids out into the water and he would never take his eye off them. He might go sit down, but he's watching. And when those boats keep fading and fading and these kids are getting frustrated, above all of the noise of the hundred other campers, you would hear Grandpa Bill, tie the rope, shift your weight. And he would yell out and you could hear it. It was like the voice of God calling out over all of the chaos. These kids would tie the knot and they would shift their weight and you would see this sail as it just ballooned. And this boat that was just being aimlessly carried by the current is now being launched by the wind. And Grandpa Bill would turn around and he'd walk back to his beach towel or to his chair with his old man giggle. It was like the greatest pleasure for him. That's the Holy Spirit for us. The Christian life being filled by the Spirit is being propelled by the wind. It's being propelled by the Spirit. It is what pushes you, it is what powers you. To be filled with the Spirit is how we move forward. Otherwise, we are just gonna aimlessly wander wherever the current takes us. I read this quote uh, the other day, it's actually by uh, the Pope, and he said, a Christian life that does not leave space for the spirit and does not allow the spirit to go forward is a pagan life dressed as a Christian one. A Christian life that does not leave space for the spirit and does not allow the spirit to go forward is a pagan life dressed as a Christian one. See, the Christian life is impossible without the Spirit. Sanctification is impossible without the Spirit. Before Christ went to the cross, he met with his disciples and he said, it's actually good that I go because that means that the Spirit is gonna come. 
Jesus knew, hey, if, if I leave and there is nothing else here, these people are doomed. I just spent the last couple of years with them, right? They're doomed. It's better that when I leave, the Spirit comes. When you start reading about the Spirit, there's these kind of attitudes and these tones of like, they're not just uh, an advisor, but they're actually like a legal defense. These, these tones of there's a counselor here. All the things that would be so useful in life, it's wrapped up in the Holy Spirit. To live a life that does not leave space for the Spirit and does not allow the Spirit to go forward is a pagan life dressed as a Christian one. So I've got to ask, how many of you, like a tree in an orchard, are trying to produce fruit on your own? You're grunting and groaning and you're trying as best as you can. Your desire is to grow fruit. You don't have the power to do that. It's outside of you. And how many of you, like a sailboat, are just being caught up in the current and just slowly wandering wherever it takes you because you refuse to be filled with the Spirit. Sanctification is the process of looking more and more like Christ. It's the process of becoming holy. And it's a process that we were never created to do on our own. So this week, in everything that you pursue, whether you're going to the grocery store, you're getting on the internet, you're talking to somebody, if what you're about to do ever causes you to pause, if you ever feel a little bit of conviction in your heart, in your soul, you need to sort it out because there's a reason for it. The conductor is not inviting you into that. He's saying, eh, I got something better for you. I think one of the best images that goes with this whole sailboat thing is, I mean, Sawyer Lake wasn't that big of a lake, right? You get a couple of tubing boats going, right? You got a pretty wicked wake going on this lake. The kids that caught wind, when that sail is really propelling them, they cut through all of the waves like butter. It's just a picture of what the Christian life looks like, right? When the Spirit is guiding you, when the Spirit has filled you, when the, you're in step with the Spirit, no matter how crazy it gets, there is a way forward. That is good news. So we're gonna respond this morning to what we've heard. And for some of you, that means you're just gonna sit exactly where you're at. You're like, man, I just need to sit and I need to talk to God about this fruit that I've been trying to grow. I need to sit and I need to talk about why on earth I keep throwing my sail up in the air but there's no wind to catch it, right? Clearly he's not doing something right. He'll sort that one out with you. For some of you, you brought a gift, you brought an offering or a tithe and you're like, man, I, just, I wanna give back to God because he's been so generous with me. We've got boxes throughout the room that you can come and you can put that gift in. This is the first Sunday of the month which means we get to take communion, right? This is a privilege, and so you guys can come forward or head to the back and you can get your juice and you can get your bread. And this symbolizes what Christ did on the cross for you, right? 
that it is his body broken for you. It's his blood poured out for you. This is a time to remember the good news. If you need to pray, we got people in the back of the room. We got people up here. We got people, uh, if you want to come and pray on the stairs, come forward and tell God what's going on. Tell other people what's going on. They want to step into that with you. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond. Father, thank you. Abba, Father, thank you. Thank you for adopting us. Thank you for calling us yours. Thank you that we get to be your little boys and your little girls. And that as we walk towards you, you are rooting us on. You are cheering for us. That you are giddy when we take steps towards you. Father, thank you for giving us the spirit that we don't have to do this life on our own. In fact, you never designed it to be that way, but instead you said, no, I'm gonna give you an advocate. I'm gonna send you a helper, somebody that you can walk and step with, somebody that you can be led by, something that's gonna fill you. God, we're so grateful for, for the Spirit. We're so grateful for Christ. We're grateful for his sacrifice. We're grateful for what he's done grateful for his ministry on earth that he uh, taught us how to disciple people. We're grateful for the sacrifice that he made and all the ways that he has saved us from and to things. And so God, I pray that this uh, time of response would be sweet to you, that uh, our worship would be honoring to you uh, and that through it uh, you would draw us in and draw us closer, that we would know you more uh, and that we would uh, love you deeper. And so I pray this in the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Let us respond.